What's up, everybody? Thanks for uh, tuning in to a new episode of the Phoenix MMA podcast. Uh, uh, got an exciting one um, today. So this one in the in the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu community, this is a really hot topic right now. Very popular. Um, not so much in the MMA, boxing, Muay Thai, or wrestling, but it's just it's just specific to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. It's a current uh, case that's going on right now, and uh, Henry Gracie. His Henry Gracie's testimony is the you know the main highlight in the jiu-jitsu community right now, which this is something that can that can you know push out into wrestling, boxing, uh, sorry, Muay Thai kickboxing, MMA, everything in general, and you, and you know you'll see this in other parts of your life as well. Um, so it's an interesting uh, case. So uh, yeah, this episode is going to be my opinion on uh, Henry Gracie's uh, testimony. Um, he was uh, hired as a um, Expert witness in uh, the case, um, uh, expert witness or for the for the prosecution, uh, and then his cousin Clark Gracie was hired as an expert witness uh, for the defense. Um, so we're going to go over uh, my opinions on it, what I think, because uh, it's a popular thing. Lots of people in the gym have been asking me. So again, doing a podcast is just a easier way. I can take the time, collect uh, my thoughts, uh, and then put it out because it's really you can't say all everything needs to be said in five minutes. Um, uh, so yeah, uh, so yeah, my opinion on it, um, this is, this is my professional opinion. So if, um, you know, if, uh, ever in a similar situation, um, this would be my professional thoughts and, uh, and I'm going to try to keep, uh, emotion out as much as possible or any character of things. There's, um, whether, I, you know, there, people will paint things with their bias. Like if they really like Henry Gracie, they would paint it with bias or if they dislike him, um, you know, just so you know, I, I don't really have, uh, a huge opinion over Henry Gracie. The, the first time, like I saw Henry Gracie, I, I, I remember I bought one of his shirts when I was in high school, but it was, uh, Henner and, and Halleck. I remember their, their backyard street, their high school. I think Henner was in college around that time. And uh, Halleck was in high school, and they had uh, Halleck, I guess, him and a, another. It's you can go on YouTube. It's uh, but them Henner is refereeing it in their backyard, and they're having a basically a, a um, you know a, a MMA fight in the backyard, like no gloves or hand wraps or anything. Um, so I don't know the whole backstory on that. I don't know if the guy challenged Halleck or not, but but yeah, Henner's refing it. So that was the first time I ever saw Henner, and then. He ran Gracie also, uh, he can, I, I remember seeing him a little bit for competition and then Halleck Gracie, you know, uh, Halleck Gracie created the pro event Metamorris, which Metamorris was really the springboard that created a lot of, I say created, it, it was one of the first like pro event, it's not around anymore, um, but one of the first pro jujitsu events that had big name competition and, uh, and Halleck tried really hard with it, you know, put big money behind it and uh, big production and stuff. And, um, uh, Henner was a, a commentator on it, and Hero and Gracie competed um, uh, in it multiple times. He competed against Josh Barnett. He competed against uh, Andre Gaval. Um, so, so yeah, they've done some cool, exciting events. And uh, and of course, me and Gracie name 
um, they're always in the news and stuff. They're always big things. And, and, and another thing that if I'm going to go into some detailed jujitsu things, this is going to be a hyper nerd detailed, you know, stuff that's going on. Gracies aren't just all on the same page. You know, the, the, the Gracies, um, they, they have disagreements. And also with this, like, this is not a, the goal of this is not to be a drama thing. This is just to give a professional opinion. Um, and, you know, just think of jujitsu exactly the same as the medical field, um, law enforcement, military, anything where there are professional disagreements um, on everything. And it's among experts, people that have, you know, put over 20, 30, 40, 50 years experience into something uh, their entire life and they have different viewpoints on it. So uh, the, just because the last name's Gracie, they, you know, you, you have um, uh, Caesar Gracie was one of the first Gracies that was uh, in not, not related or not close to Henner, Heron, and Halleck at all. Um, uh, Caesar Gracie was based out of California. He was one of the first proponents for Nogi. Um, and you might not know who Caesar Gracie is, but you know who um, Nick and Nate Diaz are. And it's those, those they, Nick and Nate Diaz, um, their early success, they attributed to the Caesar Gracie focusing on Nogi. That's their early success in MMA competition. But uh, you had David Terrell. You probably don't know Dave Terrell, but really good uh, UFC fighter, really good MMA fighter. But it was... Um, Jake Shields, lots of people know. Nick Diaz, Nate Diaz, Gilbert Melendez, Strike Force champion. Jake Shields, Strike Force champion. Nick, Nate Diaz. Um, uh, um, uh, why did I just forget his name? Uh, anyway, David Terrell. Uh, these guys were the early, early uh, no-gi guys that were fighting in the UFC that were really good, doing well in ADCC, and they were Caesar Gracie. So they, and then, and then you have Henzo Gracie as well. They debate with each other. The Gracies sue each other all the time. Like you know, friends like uh, uh, I believe Henner Gracie's father sued other members of the Gracie family to not. Um, to, to trademark Gracie's Jiu-Jitsu so that the other Gracie's couldn't use, um, the, the, have the rights to it. Um, that was early Jiu-Jitsu when, um, you know, this is, you know, in the early UFCs, um, when it's, uh, you know, who could have that, um, who could have that Gracie, that Gracie name, that trademark, you know, could be very valuable for income. And then you got Gracie Baja, which that's Carlinos Gracie Jr. Um, that's a completely different, uh, sect or group the grace grace there's a there's a lot they the the gracies debate with each other as much as different jujitsu teams uh debate with each other so um we'll we'll sift through a little bit of that so there you know be some in- information it's really interesting it's actually it's really interesting really fun if you're interested in jujitsu uh a book that i would suggest like a, a good one to get some history if you're interested in the gracie family a book called the gracie way um, and it's got a good, it's got a good breakdown, but, but also my coach, Robert Drysdale has a book on the history of jujitsu. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of the battles and stuff come to, um, the, the kind of like the trade where this lawsuits come in is where the Gracies will try to control the, the narrative of jujitsu. And like people will think that Gracie jujitsu is the highest level jujitsu. Um, but the, the, you, you have Hodger and Henzo Gracie that are, would be the most esteemed actual competitors, of modern times, um, but the you know Henner Halakiran, uh, they they're not compete. They're the uh, to my knowledge, none of them have won the world championships or ADCC um, or fought in the UFC or produced um, uh, ADCC champions or UFC champions. Um, uh, I say I know Henner uh, uh, Brian Ortega trained under uh, Henner, so I think that would be his um, his his top student that I can think of. Um, 
But again, so you could say Hodger Gracie fought in the UFC, Hodger Gracie, ADCC champion, uh, but Hodger always seems to be more in alliance with uh, Henzo in New York, and Hodger is based out of London. Um, so that's, you know, just think of your family, wherever you're from, your, your, your cousins, like, you know, you might have the last, same last name, but you battle and debate with each other and stuff. So, um, so yeah, just know, the, the, I guess the main, main thing to understand with all of this is it's very, it's uh, very detailed. There's, there's a lot to it. It is not as simple as, hey, last name's Gracie. They all agree with each other. Um, but, uh, but yeah, even if you're interested in some drama, looking up Gracie drama is fun too. Um, it's, uh, you know, whatever, if you're into that type of thing. Um, so, but this will be my professional opinion on, uh, uh, Henry Gracie's, um, testimony. Um, the vast majority of his testimony and the points of the case, the case we're talking about is the, the, the gentleman that was, uh, injured, he sustained a neck injury while he was, uh, rolling. He was training with his, um, uh, instructor, they were sparring, and um, the instructor attempted a back take, uh, a jumping, rolling back take. The white belt uh, posted his head uh, in the incorrect position, and what happened was the combination of the black belt instructor's weight fell on top of the white belt's uh, neck, um, and it caused the neck injury. So, uh, you know, there's a lawsuit lawsuit that's uh, been going on with that. So that's the and then so my my opinion on the. On this, I'll give you the, my opinion on the the case, uh, the situation. Obviously, it's terrible. You never want to see anybody get hurt um, doing jujitsu or MMA or wrestling or rock climber or any you know motocross anything. Um, but the one thing we do have to understand is it's it's going to be ra- like jujitsu is very rare for um, serious injuries, like little injuries, stub toe, you know, twisting your ankle, stub finger, uh, turf toe, stuff like that. Uh, those are very common, but. Guess what? If you're just living life, if you go play soccer out, like for instance, we've been open since April 1st, 2017, and we've never had a catastrophic injury. We've never had a broken leg, a broken arm. Um, I think I think I've honestly probably had the biggest injuries, and the biggest injuries I've had just because I was not being the smartest, and, and also doing two classes a day, six days a week. Um, you know, just running myself down and stuff. So, um, that's if you hear me say, "Hey, rest and stuff," I've or don't run yourself too much. As I've learned from me being stupid. Um, but again, my biggest injury is like you know, uh, sprained ankle and stuff. And that, like we've never had, um, uh, a catastrophic injury. Um, I, I've I've been on the mat since two thousand two, and I have never seen. A pair. Uh, I've never seen. I, I've been to thousands of tournaments, fights, competitions combined. I've never seen anybody with a severe neck injury in competition. I like. I've seen thousands. I have done. I've probably sparred anywhere from five to ten rounds a day, six days a week, for twenty years. So I don't. You know, crunch the numbers or whatever. Whatever that would be. And I've never uh, seen an, and I've never in person seen an injury uh, like the the neck injury that happened in this case. So they they are rare. You don't want them to happen. Um, it's terrible. I don't want it to happen to me. I don't have, want it to happen to any of my students. I don't want it to happen to my brother. I don't want it to happen to my daughter. But with that being said, um, there's always a risk to doing anything in life. There's it, the, the the more freedom you have. Um, the more risk you're going to have. So there's always this balancing act of freedom uh, versus risk. Um, and 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 if, uh, again, if if you don't want to 
take a risk. Uh, you know, the problem, the, the thing is, there's a risk no matter what. But the, people will say, well, I'm just going to stay in my house and I'll just play video games and I'll, and I'll take no risk. And it's like, that's still a risk. You're still breaking yourself down. Um, uh, it, like you, you're going to have severe vitamin D deficiency. Your eyes are going to be bloodshot. You're going to be unhealthy. Like the, the chances of your health are, are way worse by just staying in your house than going out and playing soccer or playing football or jujitsu or wrestling or judo or boxing or kickboxing. Um, there are so many more benefits over the risk, but there still is a risk. Anytime you have freedom on anything, there is a risk. It's, it's, you, you can't have complete, uh, safety. Uh, and I mean, you can never have complete safety, but, um, the, the more, um, the safety you do, the only way that's going to be safe is by your adding uh, safety protocols, which are regulations, which by the, just the nature of them will limit freedom. So it doesn't mean that it needs to be wild west where there's no rules, no safety protocols, no regulations. Um, that's incorrect, but it also can't be so authoritarian where you can't do anything, um, because, again, it's always a risk. Everything is a risk. Action or inaction is a risk. And the, the inaction is a, to me, the inaction is a larger risk because the chances of you just staying on your couch playing video games and watching Netflix all the time for your entire life, um, the, the chances of you developing, uh, I, would, I would be willing to bet that the chances of, of you developing some serious health uh, condition by doing that is much higher than going to your local jujitsu gym or uh, your child wrestling in middle school wrestling or club wrestling or um, you know etc. So the that's the biggest thing is that it is it is um, it is natural when things make us give us anxiety and stress to want to recede and want to mitigate and protect and 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 just block up. But truly, the answer the answer to the all these things that scare you and give you anxiety are becoming more capable, stronger, um, combining that with smart, uh, safety protocols. Like, yeah, so it's, it's a mix. Got to be stronger and you got to train smarter. So, um, which I talk about that in the gym all the time, the podcast, like, uh, like I, I saw it wild West and I knew we didn't, when I, when I was coming up, I was like, there was a bunch of wild West stuff that was going on that I knew was not good. And I did not want that when I opened a gym, it was not going to be the wild West. But also, I don't want it to turn into karate. Karate has uh, been watered down so much where it's a glorified daycare. Um, and, and, I mean, to me, it's theft. If, if you are – you give somebody a black belt and you're – it really yeah, – it's now, it's not legally theft. But to me, like morally, it, it's theft that if you're – if you are telling somebody you're, you are imparting them uh, skills – and, and the thing is, they know what they're doing, too. They, they know the truth. Some of them are self-delusional. I guess if you just never, ever spar with anybody, you never spar with a boxer, a kickboxer, a Muay Thai guy, then you could you know have the karate thing and think that you're perfectly good. Um, but I think a lot of them actually know, and they just, they just avoid, uh, they avoid the difficulty. Um, but to me, it's theft that you, that you, the reason why I'm hard on giving belts is uh, this is really the thing. Like, I don't want you ever, if you get a blue belt, you get a purple belt. I want you that if push comes to shove and you have to protect yourself or your family, I want the purple belt or the blue belt or the black belt. I want it to mean that it's you didn't get the belt just because you, you showed up to class or you paid your membership. You got the belt, and, and when push comes to shove, when you need to be able to rely on your training and your 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 training and experience, no matter even though you're overwhelmed with fear, over you have adrenaline, you're you're terrified, you're fighting for your life. 
if they're real skills, they're still going to be there for you. Now, they'll be diminished if you're overwhelmed with fear and anxiety and stress. Of course, they, you're not going to perform to your 100% best, but the skills will still be there instead of, instead of to me, it's theft to, to give people by belts. You're giving them false confidence. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it's immoral. Again, there's, there's plenty of things that are legal that I think that are immoral and vice versa, things that are, um, that, you know, are illegal or are illegal, but are not, um, immoral. So, um, that'll, that one, that'll be another wild podcast, I guess, episode, or you can ask me about that. So, um, so yeah, the specifics of this, again, this, just my professional opinion, uh, where I agree with Henner, where I disagree with Henner. Um, yeah, so the the first thing when people are asking me about this, like Henner, this is an important distinction. So Henner being an expert witness, he's not, he was not asked and he did not make a statement saying that uh, there was like uh, malicious intent. So he didn't say that the instructor meant to do something bad. Okay, so he didn't say that. So you don't want to put that in Henner's mouth. And, and yeah, if, so gross negligence, like if you, if, if you have malicious intent, I yeah the the instructor it would every instructor every jujitsu instructor across the world across the country um, initially when we first heard about this uh, Henner had posted that the instructor spiked the white belt student on their head and every I mean I had people texting me instructors everybody was like this is terrible How, the 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 instantly the the thing that my imagination rendered was you know white belt comes in being wild. The instructor's ego, um, and there's plenty of people. Look, there's there's people. There's plenty of people like that. If this will be something with going from a blue white belt blue belt to a purple belt brown belt black belt, this is an ego thing. If you can't control your ego, like by the time you're a purple belt, if you have a wild white belt and they're going crazy, what you should do is you should you really should safely control them, and you should control them and. Uh, um, control them, immobilize them, but not not injure them. You know, like what we thought in the imagination was this black belt, the, the white belt was being scrapped. He said then the black belt double-legged him, picked him up, slammed on his head, um, and injured the guy's neck. And it's like, yeah, every instructor is going to say, dude, that's terrible. You can't, that can't be your personality if you're a black belt instructor. You ha- you're not a black belt yet if you have that. Black belt's not just the skill set that you have. There's psychological traits also that you need. And I would put it at purple belt, that if you still have an ego issue and and you you can't hold it together if you're if you get beat by a white belt or a blue belt that's one of my for for me to promote somebody to a purple belt is you have to be able to control your temper uh, like that that is one of the traits uh, one of one of my students uh, Craig uh, Wellspring one time he brought it up to me that he he saw a black belt get tapped and then punched the floor one time out of anger. And he asked my opinion on that, and he said, "What do you think?" I said, I, "I disagree with that. You know, if I if you get taps, even if you wanted to because you're frustrated as a black belt, you should have enough control to not punch the floor, not punch the wall, and not not just uh, rage out." And look, I did that when I was when I was younger. I I, I remember doing it, and my coach suspended me uh, uh, a week without pay, and I and I actually punched a hole in the drywall. And then, um, but yeah, I was young. I think I was 20 years old. My coach suspended me uh, for a week without pay. Um, and I, and me and my dad came back and we patched the drywall, we fixed it, but that was the correct thing for him to do was to suspend me. Um, and that was the incorrect thing for me to do was to punch a hole in the wall. Um, I was not, uh, mature enough and, and and how you learn that is you have to get disciplined. Um, you know, he didn't fire me he didn't kick me out of the gym forever, but, but I was disciplined and I was upset about it and stuff. But now I look back and I was like, yeah, he did a hundred percent was on the right. He did the correct thing. So yeah, the if you're yeah like purple belt for me it's like you uh, 
back to Greg Wolfspring, what he said, he said, almost like as a black belt, you have to have like a, a Jedi type like mindset. And I would agree with that. It's like, yeah, if somebody taps, it's okay. It's not the end of the world. But, um, but yeah, this, and this also goes with striking. Uh, there's, you know, there's differences with striking as well. But yeah, if you're going against somebody that's, um, that's less experienced, smaller than you, that you're, yeah, you, you have to control, control it. That is, that is a part of the, the skill. Um, just like, you know, if you have a firearm, you have to be a very, very disciplined con uh, control person uh, with your emotions. You can't pull out a if you have a pistol, you're not allowed to pull out a pistol because you're debating or arguing with somebody or because they offend you. You, you can't do that. Um, uh, yeah, so, um, yeah, so with that first, uh, you know, when people brought that up, every instructor was like, dude, that's ridiculous. Yeah, the instructor totally in the wrong. The instructor should get sued. That's, you know, that's not a cool thing. You got to control your emotions. But then when Tom DeBlast put the footage out of what actually happened, it wasn't a spike. A spike in jujitsu or wrestling uh, would be you elevate somebody off the mat. Then when you return them to the mat, you then, uh, their first point of contact, you uh, you return them to their head or neck and you intentionally uh, return them to their head or neck. Just so you know, if you're doing a mat return on somebody and they attempt to Granby midair and then they land on your head or neck, that's not a spike. It's all about intention. You didn't intend to, you did not intend your technique. The intention was not to spike, put them on their head or neck. It was from their error that, that caused this. So, and this happened, you can watch Olympic wrestling, high school wrestling, middle school wrestling. Um, sometimes you do land on your head. So an example, if, if, if I was doing a mat return, a counter to a mat return, uh, like a, just a standard, you know, hips elevate, put them back down to their shoulder or their hips. So like a counter is as you're going to the mat, and I do this all the time, you initiate a Granby roll. Granby roll, you're supposed to roll over your shoulder blades. But if you make an error when you're doing it or you do it the wrong way, you could grab your roll and right, land right on your head or neck. That would not be uh, an intentional – that would not be spiking somebody. It's not intentional. Okay. Now, if you want a clear example of an intentional spike, you can go watch the pride fight of Fedor Mianenko versus Kevin Randleman. Kevin Randleman gets a rear waist lock uh, early in the round one. He elevates him, Matt returns him, and he does intentionally spike him on his head and neck. So he, he his purpose is now Fedor is just the reason why Fedor is such a legend is during, when Randleman is intentionally spiked. It's the best slam like in MMA, one of the best slams of all time, but it's also the best counter of all time. Fedor does a perfect, a perfect Granby roll and count and counters the. Uh, and I say counters. He doesn't get knocked out or his neck doesn't get injured, and then he ends up sweeping and then Kamora and Kevin Randleman. It's an awesome fight to watch. You should you should definitely go watch it right now or after you listen to this podcast. It's worth your time. Um, uh, there's also, if somebody double legs you, uh, like Michael Chandler versus Justin Gaethje, Michael Chandler double legged him, picked him up to slam him. Justin Gaethje drapes his back down his spine, locks his, uh, crotch throw grip, and then uses the crotch throw to can cancel, uh, the spiking and spiking is allowed in professional MMA com competition. You can, you know, uh, Rose Namajunas attempting the guillotine. She got spiked on her head. You can knock somebody out. Right. So, but in most jujitsu gyms, you don't, in our gym also MMA jujitsu gyms, you, you can do it in pro competition do it in pro level expert level competition but you don't do it in the gym but the intent does matter okay the the intent does matter and this matters with a lot of things this this the intention matters with when it comes to military um engagements where there are um innocent bystander casualties um was was the was the drone attack was the was the intent uh to to uh kill uh 20 innocent people 
Um, if the intent was to do that, then we look at that completely different than if that was not the intent and that was a uh, collateral damage, that was a, a terrible uh, accident or mistake that was had. But they're still they're looked at different ways uh, just with culture and with the law. Um, so uh, – but um, yeah, so let's get back on the notes. I started ranting. Um, yeah, so that was what I initially thought. Then when Tom Blast posted it, this is where Henner Gracie started getting all the heat. And then Henner went back in his post, and he deleted the portion where he put uh, Spike. He removed that part of his post um, once the once people saw video footage because they said that was not uh, it was not a spike. Um, and again, with with spiking, um, you know, it, it, it's there's a way that you could do a mat return, and somebody lands on their head and neck, and it's not that you spiked them. It was. Uh, unintentional. They made an error. They attempted to counter or made an error, and they um, they they land on their own head and neck, um, and and that's terrible when it happens. But it, it can happen. So, um, but but yeah, Henry did not say uh, that that he that the instructor meant to do this, and uh, he did say the spike, but then he removed that. Um, once the, you know, the jujitsu pub, uh, community, uh, and this was not just students. This was like Draculino, like 50 years of jujitsu experience. This is like world champions, you know, multiple times black belt. These are all people that have spent, the people that were critiquing him are, are, are high level jujitsu instructors and athletes. It wasn't, uh, on the spiking, the spiking part. Um, but all jujitsu instructors agreed with Henner on that, 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 the um, or I say agreed if, if it was a, um, if it was an intentional, like a punitive, like you're frustrating me, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna injure you. I'm gonna put you on your neck. Every jujitsu instructor, every good coach would agree with that. That that is, um, that is gross negligence, or not even gross negligence. You are being uh, malicious, and you're you're doing something unethical there. Um, uh, yeah. So um, yeah, I, I really the you know the majority of it, like the the notes that I went over, the things I won't go, you know, I'm going to touch on them. But I agree with the vast majority, honestly, of what Henner said. There's just a there's a couple key points that I disagree with. So that'll be my professional disagreement with Henner. Um, and it really the, the the key part that it stems on is the uh, the gentleman that 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 got his neck injured. Um, it was Henner's professional opinion that he was a beginner. Okay, so that's my, this is, and this was the reason why I'm focusing on this is that Henner and Tom DeBlatt, you can watch Henner has a 20 minute breakdown. He does a good breakdown over what he was legally asked in the case and the, and the, the, the standards of care as an instructor and which, which is great. I think more instructors need, need to see things like that. So they understand the law and professionalism. That's a good thing. Um, and then also just so you understand the legal system, like uh, where you, you'll think like so-and-so was doing something dirty or they were doing something. It's like you, you got to understand how law lawyers speak and the criminal justice system or legal system. Um, it's not just sitting like sitting on your couch talking. Uh, there's there's rules and specific. So and you can I think Henry even put the his deposition up for download or the, the transcript up for download on his social media. You can do that as well. Um, and then, and then also another good video, Henner and, uh, Tom DeBlast did a, a Instagram live where they spoke in detail. So there's good details as well. So I'm pulling from all that. Um, but my biggest, my biggest thing was that Henner as a, again, he's with the prosecution, uh, uh, his, his expert testimony, was that the that this should never be done on uh, to quote him uh, 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 this technique should uh, or sorry yeah this technique should not be used um, on white belts by black belt instructors also to quote him 
the gap between a white belt and a black belt is massive. So those are two quotes from him. Those are from the case and then from, uh, from his personal statements on his video on the Tom DeBlast uh, video. So these are, these are the th- – and this is the really important thing because um, people were stressing out like, oh, no, what would happen if it's two uh, blue belts that are training and there's an injury? Can they sue me or whatever? It's, it's no, that's not – the details of the case are coming from the instructor who is like the chief safety officer of the room versus like a novice white belt beginner. That's that's the gap. It's not there's two purple belts, there's two blue belts, so there's a, a brown belt and a black belt sparring. Oh no, like this is that's not what it, this is opening up, so don't don't stress that. Um, this was very specific to the fact of the the it's it's the example of an expert. Um, doing something negligent, uh, simple negligence to injure a novice, a beginner. And look, I 100%, I agree with, if you are an expert, if you were, this, this instructor was a second-degree black belt, I'm, I'm a second-degree black belt right now. I'm eligible for my third-degree black belt as of um, the beginning of April. Um, and again, I've been trained, like I said, I've been on the mats in 2002, started wrestling and started jiu-jitsu in 2004. Um, I 100% agree that, a black belt instructor with a with a novice, a true white belt novice. Um, yeah, the, you there is a standard of care that all that you have to do. I think there's standard of care that that everybody should do. I teach it to all my students. Like even if you're still a three or four stripe white belt, I have a a standard that I expect you to follow. Where you're welcoming a new students, um, you 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 can control them. You you can do submissions, but you don't injure them. Um, you don't take your day out on somebody. You, you don't, yeah, you don't, you don't injure somebody and you work with them. Um, this is a smart way to have a good gym culture. This is also a way to get the best training partners, um, and keep all of us healthy for our families and our lives. And so jujitsu can be a great part of our life and not, not, uh, increase medical bills. Like we got a great, great program with the gym. Every, there's only a couple of people that have to you know, discipline and get onto and stuff. And that's how it's always going to be. There's always going to be a Pareto distribution of a very small percentage of your students are going to cause the vast majority of your problems. But, um, we got a great program, not, not any issues at all. Um, but yes, I, I, I do agree that, uh, an instructor, uh, there is, there are so many moves that I don't do on people. Um, there are so many moves that I don't do to people, and the reason why I don't do it is because they don't know any better. It would hurt their ankle. It would hurt their knee. There's so many – and I, as I'm sparring with people, I process what their athleticism level is. If there's a move that I know that's going to like stretch their groin really bad, and I know that they're – um, not very flexible. I actually won't do the move because I don't want to tear their groin. And there's just the jujitsu has so many moves you can do. So it's like I can just do a different move. If there's a group one foot to the right of us, I don't do the move that pushes the person into that group because I don't want to hit the group beside. This is to me. This is common sense. This is just just uh, thinking. This is just common sense. Might not be common sense, but it was common sense to me from the very start when I first started. But um, but overall, I, I, I try to be a considerate person. So maybe, maybe if you're just natu- not naturally very considerate, um, you don't care about the people, the groups that are beside you. You don't care about the other person. You're just trying to win any means, means necessary. Um, and if that's your personality trait, then, yeah, that's something you need to work on because uh, it's, it's, you know, it could with this, it could get you into legal problems. It could get you into a big civil lawsuit um, where you owe a bunch of money to somebody or just make it where nobody wants to train with you and you don't have any friends. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I agree 100%. But the, and this was the big part of the case. Um, 
where where it was again the quotes should not be done on white belts by a black belt instructor that's one quote and the other quote the gap between a white belt and a black belt is massive so this was and then the other the other bullet point that that henner had was um techniques should not be you uh should be taught to a student before they are used on them okay so let's go over these things okay so the white belt in this scenario who was a white belt and this is this will be one of the professional disagreements between different jiu-jitsu instructors um is white belts are white belts beginners okay um so this is the big thing and this is for legal again a judge and like a judge and jury all these things they don't they don't know all they hear is white belt and black belt and they're like oh the black belt is just death touch boom they're just done okay this we need to dispel some of these myths real quick we need to let the uh, first thing the white belt who had the injury done was a varsity wrestler in high school and had Per the conversation between Tom DeBlas and Henner Gracie, he had two to three years of jiu-jitsu experience. Tom DeBlas has training footage or competition footage of that white belt student doing a, a very good suplex, uh, suplex throw, which is not a beginner throw. And a suplex does throw somebody on their head and neck. Um, it is actually a spike that can throw somebody on their head and neck. Um, so he's athletic, he's strong. Again, just to be varsity wrestling in high school – you have to be, uh, you have to be pretty tough. You have to be pretty good, um, and you are no longer a novice. You got to think you know, like how many hours. Like oh, I've had this debate before with a college wrestling coach, uh, actually Team USA wrestling coach, when you're saying that college wrestlers can tear up blue belts. It's like, well, just think about the numbers. Your average blue belt is trained for one to two years, trains three days a week, gets three hours in a week. Um, yeah, for for two years, okay, okay, three, uh, yeah, three hours, four hours of training a week for three years, or sorry, two years. It's like how many hours you got versus a college wrestler. That college wrestler wrestled in middle school, high school, and then wrestled in college, and it's not three days a week. You're wrestling five days a week, three hour practices per day, Monday through Friday, and then you're having a match Monday, Wednesday, and a tournament Saturday. It's just hours, okay. So this is the thing that's really important. It's it's the amount of hours of mat time of moving around. It's 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 a real easy recipe when it comes to high level competition. Um, you know, of course there are some some geniuses and savants and stuff, but it's it's also like so uh Henner and Tom touched on this as well. Um and and Henner said that uh, he said that 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 was questioned. So the 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 white belt involved had multiple years of wrestling experience, varsity, and then multiple years of jiu-jitsu experience, and it also competed at the Pan American Games. The Pan American Games is the second largest Brazilian jiu-jitsu tournament for the IBJJF, which is the International Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Federation. The only tournament that is ranked higher than that in the International Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Federation is the World Championships. So you have the World Championships as number one. After that would be the Pan American Games, and then on the other tier with that would be the European Open, uh, the Asian Open, and the Brazilian National championships okay so saying that somebody is a novice or they're a beginner when they have potentially seven years grappling experience of mat time and this position um this is my issue with clark gracie's expert testimony as a defense is this position is more common in wrestling than it is in jiu-jitsu so it's not this is not an uncommon position trapping the near side arm and breaking somebody down is is the jumping part is is a new that you don't see that in wrestling very often 
but trapping the near side arm and getting broken down towards that same side, uh, the shoulder, this is very common, um, in, in wrestling because you're trying to get back exposure. You're trying to get your person to the, uh, the opponent to their back. Um, but this never results in neck injuries because when your arm gets, your near side arm gets trapped and you get broken down your left shoulder, you don't post your head to the left side. What the, what the individual did was as, uh, he was getting rolled over his left shoulder, he then posted his left, his head to the left, and then he created a wedge. He tried, and he tried to block the roll with your head. And this is not a smart, this is a bad habit of wrestlers. Lots of times wrestlers will get injured in jujitsu or they'll pull a muscle and stuff because they're too tight wound. They're too stiff. They're not, uh, they're not adaptable enough. They're not flexible enough. This is the thing that wrestlers have to learn. And this is part of wrestling culture. You know, wrestling culture and coaches, they're way more hardcore than jujitsu. You know, if you turn your back, they'll, you'll, you'll get insulted by your teammates, your coach, they'll get mad at you and stuff. But jujitsu is much more adaptable where, yeah, if you, you know, if you're getting power half, don't let your, don't let your neck get pulled, go to your back and then use your, uh, get your shoulders flat, use your hip escape and again, re-engage with your guard. You're still in the match. But wrestling actually builds a counter narrative to that where it's much more often stand your ground, stay strong, don't move, don't adjust, post. And, and that's, that's actually probably the most common injury that happens in jiu-jitsu is people, um, they, they are too stiff when they should bend, they don't. They don't bend. And if you don't bend when there's too much force, then that's when you're going to get a break. Bridges move for this exact same reason. Every, humans, that's our number one advantage is how adaptable we are, um, how much we can evolve. That's our, our best advantage. So, But wrestlers have to learn this pretty often, and even the wrestling culture is much different than jiu-jitsu. It's much more um, rigid, stiff. Um, so, uh, lots of times jujitsu guys, or sorry, wrestlers will think jujitsu guys are like so laid back and chill and like, uh, even sometimes like lazy and stuff, but it's, um, it's, it's actually in jujitsu guys can get too lazy, but it's, it's, a uh, being adaptable and pliable and adjustable and be able to evolve with the situation. Uh, Cause if you don't, then, you know, potentially you post your head out and then you injure your neck or you post your arm out and you injure your shoulder, or your elbow. Um, so uh, Henner, uh, Tom pushed him on this a little bit, and then Henner uh, stood his ground on it and said that he said that, uh, well, the guy, he said that student should not be wearing a white belt, okay? Um, I disagree with that. This is a professional disagreement I have. There are plenty, like you could be a college wrestler and still be a white belt in jiu-jitsu. Um, you could, because you can be very athletic and you're very good on top. You're very good on takedowns. You have very good spatial awareness and balance. Um, but you maybe don't technically know how to pass a guard. You can athletically pass a guard. Um, you don't technically know how to coordinate going from a half guard to a knee shield, to a butterfly, to a close guard. Like, so, okay. That's, those are all bottom positions. You don't do that in wrestling at all. Okay. Um, I, I still think that you're a white belt and that wrestler very well could beat plenty of blue belts in jiu-jitsu and potentially there's, there's depending on the gym, depending on the gym and their standard, that same guy could be beating purple belts. Okay. And the, the other, um, so, so yeah, I disagree. That's my main professional disagreement. And Henner tried to stick to it and say like, well, he shouldn't be a white belt. That's where I disagree. Just because you can beat a blue belt doesn't mean that you are a blue belt. Um, again, if you can't show me how to transition from half guard to knee shield, half guard to butterfly to close guard, then like you, you can't be a blue belt. Those though, that none of that is advanced. I'm talking about just how to transition, how to get to those. And you could have a college wrestler that's a white belt that doesn't know how to do those. Um, and that doesn't, yeah, you, you can't be a blue belt if you don't know those things, but you could, you know, you could be a, a Nicky Rod, a Josh Barnett. It's like, you can get takedowns and, you know, win. Um, that doesn't mean that you just get given a blue belt. 
Um, now with, with that and Tom pressed him on that where the, the IBJJF, they had to, they changed their standard. They, they got frustrated with this. This is something they didn't like, but Josh Barnett won the no gi black belt world championships as a white belt in jujitsu. Yes, you heard that correct. As a white belt in jiu-jitsu, he won the Brazilian jiu-jitsu, no-gi world championships, heavyweight division as a white belt in jiu-jitsu. Guess what? He also submitted Henry Grayson, Gracie's brother, Heron Gracie. Yeah, that's right. He submitted Heron Gracie. I don't know if now Josh Barnett's been like honorarily given, given a black belt in jiu-jitsu or not, but he submitted Henry Gracie's brother, Heron Gracie, um, for the main event of a Meta Morris event. Um, again, he might still be a white belt. I don't know if he's been given an honorary black belt or not. I doubt that Josh Barnett trains in a gi. Um, but why, why? So the IBJ Jeff changed that rule because they didn't want it to look bad for the sport. But how did Josh Barnett do that? Okay. Should he be given a black belt? Um, because he could win it. It's like, not necessarily. He won because he was a good wrestler and catch wrestler. Primarily he was a good catch wrestler. Catch wrestling is a submission grappling sport. But if just because I'm a black belt in jiu-jitsu, it does not give me the rank of master of sport in Sambo. So if I was to go to Russia, I would have to go through that whole process and start at white belt or start at whatever the beginning process is and then and then work to my rank of master of sport Sambo. I would not I would start as a white belt in judo, but my Brazilian jiu-jitsu and wrestling background would would not mean that I am a novice or a beginner in judo. So that that would you it's I disagree with the way that Henry Gracie framed his testimony, um, saying that the the individual was a novice or a beginner. Um, what I agree with is if somebody was in the exact same scenario, if it's somebody their first month of training, first three months, six months, whatever training, yes, they have no wrestling, they have no judo, they have no sambo, um, they have no catch wrestling. Yes, they're a white belt, and and you got a high level standard of care. Um, that's a hundred percent. But this is the thing: if you've ever trained with a wrestler, and then somebody comes from a wrestling background, and they have two to three years of jiu-jitsu experience, and they've competed at the Pan American Games, um, even if they're again Josh Barnett as a white belt, it's like that's a battle. That's a that's a high intensity match. If they're choosing to do a high intensity match between the two people. Um, that's not somebody their first uh, one year or two years being on a mat. It's not the first two years. I, I mean, I'd call you like a novice or beginner of really your first two years of training on the mat. And that would go for, you know, cumulative from wrestling, Zamba, all these things, all of them. But, you know, after the two-year mark, you're not a novice anymore. Um, you're not a novice or a beginner anymore. You're, you're past that. Um, but, yeah, when you're four to seven years experience on on the mats grappling you're no longer considered a novice so white belt is an oversimplification uh of 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 belt ranks now henry gracie uh gives gives blue belts out with online courses this is also a professional dis- uh, um, uh, disagreement i have um, I, I actually, I'm not up to date whether he still does it or not. I used to have a blue belt where you could send in your training footage, you follow their protocol, their list of techniques, and then you send your footage in where you demonstrate the techniques, this is to the best of my knowledge, um, and then you receive a blue belt. So you get mailed a blue belt. Um, that's, I also have a professional disagreement with that. I don't, I don't agree with that at all. Um, this is one of the things when I say the sport getting watered down, or the, not not even just the sport, the martial art, the the, the efficacy of, of the martial art getting watered down. This is also a professional disagreement I have with Henry. Um, 
so, you know, this is where jujitsu instructors, and this is, this is where, look, you get a blue belt from somebody. Look, I'll tell you right now, if you get a blue belt from us, you get a, you get your blue belt from Henzo Gracie. Um, you're a blue belt from Donaher. Um, you're a blue belt, like, you know, I'm sure under Craig Jones or whatever, then it has a whole lot of weight to it. Um, but there's some people that you get a blue belt from and it doesn't, it doesn't, it just, it doesn't mean as much because it's not as difficult to get. Um, and on the, 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 the side where it's like, if you've ever rolled with a, uh, a, uh, quote, white belt wrestler with four to seven years of combination wrestling jiu-jitsu experience, um, the, the, the thing with this is I'm glad that Tom DeBlast, uh, did the live chat with, with Henner. Cause there's plenty of things that I agree with Henner on. I agree with Tom on, um, you don't need to be spiking people on their head. You don't need to be going crazy all the time. You should not be injured. You do need to do standard care. I just, the main thing I disagree with was the Henner's testimony and his characterization of the person involved being, uh, a beginner, because I think this part became part of it. Cause someone brought up, uh, Henner actually brought it up in the live stream, that it was brought up that when his uh, when the black belt did the technique to the white belt, the white belt posted uh, made an error and posted his head t- to his left that caused the neck injury or was I say was part of the neck injury because you know there's two parts to every equation. Um, he said that the judge when they when they mentioned that I believe the defense mentioned it the judge interrupted and said you can't bring that up that can't be part of the scenario and then Henner said this was very specific because it was a black belt with a white belt. Henner's, uh, Henner's argument, what he said to Tom is that the guy shouldn't be wearing a white, white belt. Um, and that's when Tom brought up the Josh Barnett example. Um, and so that's a disagreement Tom and, and Henner have. And I, I, I side with Tom on that. I disagree with, uh, Henner on that with, um, just giving somebody a blue belt. But I, I, another thing from this that I disagree with Henner on was that, uh, he says his students for his gym, they don't, they don't get to spar or do live training until they've had approximately, uh, he said, about a hundred classes at their gym. Um, so when I say like that, that high school college wrestler with you know three years youth experience, like that's a battle. Honestly, Henner's gym, these battles, this these tough roles might not be happening that way. And I'll tell you right now because if you have any high school wrestler or college wrestler that comes to a gym and they're told they have to do a hundred classes. Um, you know, a hundred classes, uh, before they get to go live, they're going to not sign up at that gym. They're not going to go to that gym. They're going to say, Hey, I'm not coming here to do karate or glorified daycare or whatever. Like I'm not coming, this is, I'm not coming to do, uh, to a Kung Fu school to do a bunch of theory and concept and do katas and not do anything live. Um, that's part of the fun, but it's also the efficacy. It's what, it's the standards. It's not dropping the standards. Um, but, but you still need to do it in a smart, safe way, have smart regulations, but don't drop the standards so low. Um, so those matches, those rounds probably aren't happening, uh, in Hinner school. And so from his perspective, he's probably not seeing that because they're not gonna, they're not gonna stay. They're not gonna go. I mean, think of it. Think of if you were a student, like all of you, I'm sure train, if you were not allowed to spar for, until you had a hundred classes, like if you come to three classes a week, it's like, you know, that's 12 classes. You're looking at nine or 10 months before you get to do anything live. Um, yeah, no, like, I mean, I, I think lots of people wouldn't actually enjoy it. Um, well, how we have, we have an optional, you beginners don't start out with sparring for like striking. We have eight weeks. You have to do eight weeks of training before you're allowed to do, uh, start sparring and you start sparring in a a slow intensity. You build it up as you get more experience. You don't spar day one or first week. 
Um, but it's not nine, 10 months uh, of training. Um, and we always have a coach there for sparring. Um, and, and, and we control the intensity. Um, but, um, but yeah, it's not nine or 10 months before you get to do something live. Um, uh, Okay, let's uh go back to the notes because I got to uh, – oh, the the other thing with uh, – they had De- Clark Gracie as the defense, the expert witness as the defense. Uh, the defense, this is just bad on them, uh, having – hiring Clark Gracie to be expert defense. Clark Gracie, um, he, he would be considered a expert in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but the position they were in uh, is very akin or similar to uh, – it is like a folk-style wrestling position. And he's a novice. He's not an expert. He wouldn't be an expert witness in uh, folk-style wrestling. He would be a, a, he'd be a novice in folk-style wrestling. Um, and his testimony said that the conventional way to do the technique that was done is not trapping the near-side arm. Again, that position, the reason why John Darnaher, Gordon Ryan, Craig Jones, the Henzo Gracie team, the reason why they're doing so well against the other teams is – because they do trap, do things like that that are from folk style or folk style, freestyle or Greco, they're in Sambo, et cetera. Um, uh, and the reason why a lot of uh, Gracie gyms are having difficulties in co- competition, Gracie Baja, you know, all these, Gracie Humata, there are plenty of them are having issues with competition is that they're not adapting uh, with, with modern things. And this does not mean that the, the modern moves are going to cause injuries. They can be safely done. And also, just so you know, I disagree with the, the way the instructor applied the technique. I think he was sloppy. I do think it was reckless. Um, I wish he wouldn't have done it because this whole thing wouldn't have happened. I wouldn't do it that way. I don't teach to do it that way. Um, I, don't, I don't teach to do it that way, partially for the injury that, that was happened or could happen, but it's also just not the cleanest way to do it. It's a sloppy thing. Um, but, but that instructor probably also, he's probably a novice when it comes to folk style wrestling. Like just cause they're a black belt in jiu-jitsu doesn't mean that they're great at wrestling, great at folk style, great at judo. They could be a white belt in wrestling. That's another thing people don't realize. They're like, oh, he's a black belt in jiu-jitsu. They could be a white belt in folk style wrestling. Um, they could be a white belt in judo. Um, uh, so, and they're going to make mistakes. Everybody's going to make mistakes as white belt. And, um, uh, and, and then the problem is you could also make a mistake and post your arm or your head or neck and get injured. Um, and then when it's a high intensity, the higher the intensity round, the higher the chance for injury. So that's why I suggest, uh, for lower intensity rounds is a smart way to train. Um, but yeah, Clark Gracie, um, yeah, that, that, that's not a, a good hire for your, your expert testimony. Um, but again, people will just see the name Gracie and they'll assume, oh, this is, yes, this is an expert. It's like, you would have been way better off, um, getting, get, like Craig Jones would have been way better. Like Craig Jones and his, his accomplishments, accolades, and even if him and Clark Gracie were to compete and the students they've created, Craig would be, um, would be, a more relevant, higher skill level, better instruction and higher student turnout um, than Clark Gracie, uh, but he would have been a much better, uh, person for the defense. Um, yeah, that's, uh, so the, yeah, that's my main, uh, yeah, main disagreement with it and some of the details on this. Um, yeah, that's my main disagreement with, uh, Henner's, uh, testimony and it's, he's coming from a worldview. I understand why he's doing that. That's the way that he chooses to do jiu-jitsu. It's his interpretation of it. Um, but, some of the reasons why I disagree with that interpretation of Jiu-Jitsu and his, his, uh, his testimony um, is it's not as black and white as black belt, white belt. Um, 
for, for those reasons. Again, uh, Nick Rodriguez, white belt, you know, second place ADCC, the, the, the highest level uh, submission grappling against black belts and stuff, beating, beating black belts. Um, uh, you know, as a blue belt, as a purple belt, he beats black belts. Um, white belt, blue belt, purple belt, he beats black belts. And, and I have a white belt right now. I mean, I, I've had multiple white belts that could submit black belts. And I have multiple blue belts right now that could that I know can I can confidently say submit black belts because they do submit black belts at every gym that they go to. Okay, does that mean that they deserve their black belt? No, they're not ready for their black belt yet. Does it mean those black belts suck and they're terrible? Not necessarily. Some of them maybe the standards are low in that gym and they did get their given their black belt too easy. And some of them no. It's just that maybe they're older and they're. They train two, three days a week, and then the, the, the blue belts, they train five, six days a week. They're younger. They're in better shape. Um, yeah, so, um, da, 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 da. yeah, so if all this, um, you know, I got to finish on a positive note because if all this is, you know, giving you anxiety or stressing you out, don't, again, um, they're, uh, you know, the we what we want to do at Phoenix MMA is keep the standard high. So again, if you need to, if you're in an MMA competition, you self-defense situation, tournament, I want you to be successful. I want you to have the best uh, possible chance at any of those scenarios. And I want no matter how much fear, anxiety, stress overcomes you in the moment, your training experience will, will kick in. It's that autopilot is really, really cool with good training, with uh, good training and good standards. Even under a high level of stress, you will revert to your level, your, your mastery level of training, is, and that's why the standards need to be upheld and they need to be to a high degree. We use a lot of safety uh, protocols um, so, that, so that we control the injury, so that everybody can, uh, and again, we've been open since April 1st of 2017. We've never had a catastrophic injury. I have um, been on the mats to, since 2002, and I've never uh, seen an injury like this that happened. So they're extremely rare. Um, the, you know, again, this specifically was because it was framed as a black belt. Don't worry. Like, Hey, I'm a blue belt. And if I, you know, twist on my ankle or something against another blue belt, no, this is not open you up. And, and also apparently this gym did not have good liability waivers. Also the insurance chose not to like, uh, pay out on the case with the, the insurance. Um, and you know, Henner, you know, was pushing that hard that this is the, the insurance, which I'm, the insurance has a part to play with this as well. Um, but, but yeah, it was, it was very specific. The, the, this case was that it was an expert instructor versus a novice beginner. And, and look, if it really was somebody their second week or whatever that came in in the same scenario, um, you would probably have me thinking the, the, the I would, uh, I, I would agree with, I would actually, I would agree with Henner's, uh, testimony if it was their second month training, second week training or whatever versus black belt. I would a hundred percent agree. Um, but it wasn't his second week, second month. It was his, Fourth, fourth to seventh year of being on mats, uh, training and competing, and again being at the second largest jiu-jitsu tournament in the world, um, or sorry, under the International Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Federation, second largest tournament, notoriety and size scale. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't want the gym to turn into a glorified daycare. I also don't want anybody to get hurt. Everybody in the gym, uh, just about everybody's my friend. I consider a friend. Uh, we got really good people, and and my family. Like I said, my brothers and my daughters going to be in the gym all the time. So I want rules uh, and safety protocols for everybody and myself. I want everybody to be healthy. 
um, and I want to take care of everybody. So the, the just so you know, if you're training with us, our safety protocols, first thing we, we do do, uh, this is something Tom the Blast was talking about as well, like we do members only, we don't do drop-ins. If uh, He was saying if he's not in the gym, I basically have the same thing. We do members only for open mats. If, not, if I'm not in the gym, uh, you know, we're not doing Dojo Storm uh, challenge matches. If somebody does want to do Dojo Storm or challenge match, send me a message. We'll set it up. We can we can do it. it uh, I just want to be there for it, and I want to be part of it. So, um, yeah. Uh, but but yeah, the you know uh, we do members only for open mats because you need to you know actually be a good training partner and stuff. Um, we're not going full wild west on it. Um, you don't spar on your first day for a striking. You need eight weeks of experience uh, minimum uh, before you start sparring. You can start out slow. Uh, with grappling, you can start sparring at a at a uh, faster time pace. But again, we start out with situation rounds, so you're limiting the sparring. And we're also we pair you with more experienced instructors initially, or our students, instructors and students, people that won't let you win, but they're not going to try to injure you because they have enough experience. That's a safety protocol. Um, uh, yeah. So for jujitsu rules, um, no slamming somebody on their head, no, no spiking somebody, you know, don't, don't spike somebody, don't slam somebody. Um, no jumping takedowns, you know, no jumping, uh, takedowns, no, uh, flying leg scissors, no Connie Basamis, no jumping submissions, no jumping takedowns. Uh, those are, those cause injuries as well. Um, uh, you know, no eye gouging, no small joint manipulation. Watch the groups beside you. If you're going out of bounds, you're going close to another group, hit the pause buttons, go back to open mat space. Finish all of your submissions with control. My definition of a control is a gradual increase of force. Think, keep it in first gear, tight, tight, strong, controlled, um, and, a, you know, gradual increase of force. Or It's not fast, okay? They should have time to tap. Um, and that also gets, you know, I've gone over this before many times, but it also gets you better at controlling a limb if you truly need to break it um, in, a, in a fight or a situation. Um, striking, um, you know, the eight-week uh, before you can spar. Some people don't like it, but it's for reasons like this, but also so that you know what you're doing first. Um, for beginners, we start with standard boxing or kickboxing rules. As you get more experience, you can begin uh, touching with your knees to the body, throwing uh, slap knees, touch knees, stuff like that, so that you don't fracture. It's easy to fracture the ribs. You can't do knees or elbows with a decent amount of force unless you're wearing knee pads, elbow pads, and you have enough experience to control it. Um, it's just really easy to fracture a rib if you the knee just lands on the rib right at the right time in the right place. Um, but at more advanced people, we allow to touch with touch with knees. Um, yeah, the yeah, that's uh, basically it. Hope this didn't doom and gloom. You're scary. There's no reason to be scared. Um, it's more of a risk to just sit at home and do nothing. You won't enjoy life. Um, we have people. We have people. We have children as young as 40 years old and i think we have i know we have a couple students that are uh 50 or in their 50s our oldest student might be 53 maybe um but yeah so we could say from age four to 53 we have students in our gym we've never had a catastrophic injury we have a great training environment um and 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 that comes down to not only how the instructors treat people, but how every single student treats each other um, when they're sparring with each other using smart safety protocols. Not training like Wild West. Um, we're not being meatheads. We're not being idiots, cavemen. But we're also not being soft as rainwater, where where then you're just you're you're we're we are stealing from you. If somebody waters the standards down so much, they are stealing from you. It is theft. Don't like that is terrible. 
I again, this is oh, yep, getting old man now. So we want you to be super tough. We want you to be really healthy. We want you to have a great time. We want you to build a great uh, team. We want you, if you want to compete, to compete to the highest level. Um, you can balance all of those things. You can balance all of those things. Um, if it's done the right way and you got good leadership and you put out the correct message and, uh, and, and we also, we learn from incidents like this, 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 uh, tragic tragedy, this is terrible that it happened. Um, you know, so, um, yep, we, uh, we haven't had any catastrophic injuries, knock on wood. We won't have any, um, as long as we all use the smart stuff and, uh, take care of training partners and, uh, and, you know, Hey, if you're real emotional one day, um, and you know, like say you're arguing with the spouse or whatever, it's not a good day for you to spar. Don't spar. Habib Nurmagomedov does that with his fighters where if they're fighting with their wife or something like that, they're not allowed to spar. And that's, that's a good coach as well. Um, sometimes coaches are not always going to be there to see everything. You know, if there's a hundred students, 150 students to manage. Um, but, but you can manage yourself as well. Like, Hey, this is not a good day. It might just be a day to come in and drill and just move around. I'm tired or, I'm uh, cutting weight or you know, I've just got an argument or whatever. Not a good day to spar because um, I don't have as much control of my emotions right now. Um, that'd be another good tip. But uh, hope, hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode and uh, yeah, if, you know, you know kind of some of my thoughts on it. So you see it.